Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and someone who, could be said, goes down a bit too easily, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Famously true. Very Latin, aren't you, Nathan? <laughs> <laughs> You've immediately made me think about the Latin comment and the retraction of that when it's like they say similar things. Like, that is that is English punditry, is talking about the way Latin players go down easy. So why... I'm not saying that they shouldn't have retracted and apologised for that, but why that particular bit, rather than literally everything else they say? Whatever, it's not important, let's not leave with that. I, I feel exactly the same, um, and there's going to be lots of fun in this podcast before anyone switches off. Um, before we do the fun bits, uh, I just want to dedicate this podcast to a great man who I, I lost today, my, my girlfriend friends my girlfriend's dad um i mentioned a while back we were having some difficult times and we lost him today he was a wonderful man um alan i adored him he was a huge liverpool fan and look they won the title in in his last in his last year of being alive so a great send-off for a great man uh rest in peace alan uh next a little announcement so we're going to pass 400 x subs today 400 patrons thank you so much for all of your support and for all of the feedback we've had so far on all the additional content you're getting we're we're delighted you're happy with it we are very happy with it too what this means for us is that we can now pay nathan for his production so he's going to invoice me hopefully soon (laughs) feel free to complain if there are any issues because nathan's now doing this professionally (laughs) (laughs) We, we, we can now pay content providers and you know have a little bit of money left over to spread between us for the work we put into this podcast so thank you so much we're determined to keep the quality high in our free weekly pod and of course, delivering behind the paywall as well. Boys, we beat Man U 6-1. Smashed them. 
<laughs> smashed him. Absolutely smashed him. Um, we've we've on... we've made Man United actually ponder what kind of football club they are. That this that's how big this defeat goes for them. That this is this is shaking them to the very foundations. They they're unsure of who they are now. So that's the significance of this of this victory. An existential thrashing. Yeah, yeah, quite literally. They've they've they keep saying, "Oh, we've been beaten before," but they've never quite been beaten like this before. I think what you're saying, Bardi, is that lads, it's Tottenham has taken on a whole new meaning. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's just that it's just everything has been shown up for lack of decisiveness on the pitch, off the pitch, in the boardroom, in the changing room, everything, and it's kind of they've kind of hit a point where I know we we like to talk in modern football about oh my god this is a crisis, but this is this is a serious uh, serious failure of club ethics, club values, club everything. Everybody shares a part of this defeat. Man United it doesn't go on Woodward or Solskjaer alone it's it's spread across everybody we've never seen that before at, at an institution like Man United I kind of want to say that they're a club at a crossroads but I feel as though a club of that size is never really at a crossroads they're just they're just a couple of decisions away from being massive again and from being successful they, again right they, they, they just are throw another 100 million at this problem and it goes away pretty quick mm. They're at the crossroads and then Ndombele come charging past and shoulder barged them into the <laughs> road and they've been flattened. Harry Maguire's massive fat head just flattened on the road under a 4x4. Yeah, roadkill, man. So let's start where we always do, team selection. Uh, I didn't feel great when I saw the team. I'm not going to lie about that. I did have a bit of a mini meltdown. Nathan, how did you feel when you saw Aurier and Sissoko in the starting eleven? Yeah, yeah, mixed, mixed. Um, I get Aurier. I guess we shouldn't be surprised. I guess we're doing uh, an almost Pochettino esque fullback rotation yes. now, where we're doing the strong weak, weak strong kind of vibe. Our first choice right back and our second choice left back. Our first choice left back and our second mm. choice right back kind of thing. Um, so I guess I, I've got to get used to that. But I mean, obviously, Aurier had a hell of a game, so I <laughs> I have to retract any issues I might have with him starting. Mm-hmm. Sissoko, you know, I don't I don't mind him in the big games because that I think that sort of suits his skill set space to run into um combativeness all of that kind of stuff and hey um is it consecutive starts i mean maybe not consecutive starts from dombele uh but like i felt like him starting was like okay he is now a first 11 player yes thank god (laughs) Bardi, anything to add to that yeah, I was like you guys. I was very scared when I saw that lineup. I I think we were helped out by Man United playing into into the hands and into the the skill set of Sissoko. Had they set off us and then made Sissoko do stuff with the ball, we might have been <laughs> in trouble. But then again, he did did spray the ball around quite nicely for Musa Sissoko. So I was nervous, but Sonny was there, and when when Sonny's in the starting lineup, mm. you you've always you've you, you've got that kind of counter attacking punch. So it was it, I was happy and sad, but you know. Yeah, it didn't really matter, did it? I, I, I fucking knew when Mourinho immediately said the sun's went off and it's really bad. Oh, he's going to be out for ages. That he was talking crap because it was way too <laughs> early for a scan. He walked off fine. He was just he was playing up to the oh woe is me. Everything is so bad. All my players are <laughs> injured all the time. I, I, I didn't want to say because <laughs> I've, I've had a bad recent uh, history of talking about <laughs> injuries. Um, but I, I had a, I had a good. I wasn't too worried about Sun as soon as the injury was announced. Yeah, nor was I. I kept him in my fantasy team and I'm very glad of that yes uh, <laughs> so we had a question from Ram on our Subs discord channel he says were we great United terrible or a combination or something else 
So rather than go through first half, second half, let's just get that over and done with first. What do you reckon, Bardi? Um, well, I think it was a, a bit of both. I think they didn't press our weaknesses. Aurier, we know he's not great defensively. We know Sissoko's not too great on the ball. Um, but we, I think I'd like to think that we were great and we punished them and we were very smart and we were very quick and we were very strong. And there was um, there was a sharpness to our play, which sometimes you forget that was what our fourth game in eight days. It, it didn't look like that the way the way they run around the pitch. Mm-hmm. Anything to add, Nathan? Yeah, yeah. There was um, there was a comment from Gary Neville who was like he was going off on one as, as like a United fan in the second he half. He was devastated. He, he was devastated. He was audibly professionally devastated on air for an hour and a half plus. And there was a bit where he said the red card had no impact on this game. And I laughed out loud because that is literally <laughs> absurd. Um, of course, the red card had a massive impact on this game. But what you can say is that that doesn't guarantee a, a victory for the team with 11 men. But we absolutely pushed that advantage home. We absolutely took control of that game every facet and equally United completely fell apart as a result of the red card as well I mean Man United got a penalty within 30 seconds yeah. and after the game Harry Kane spoke a lot about mindset and stuff like that and it's, it's something that we've spoken about the lack of maybe a, a psychologist within the ranks and some Spurs teams at Old Trafford have crumbled for less than that but we didn't and we we scored virtually immediately after and we ended up being 2-1 up while they still had 11, 11 guys on the pitch and I think a lot of credit's got to go to the players and the management for that that we didn't we didn't allow that to affect our game and in fact we all just that Man United were going to get a penalty and it actually worked out for our advantage that it got it in the first 30 seconds so at least it was over and done with, <laughs> it was over and done with without getting it around the third, 43rd minute or something like that it did kind of open the game and force us to come out a bit so in the documentary Mourinho talks a lot about coping with adversity that's one of his many things that he is almost like a mantra to him we cope with this we cope with the pressure we deal with this and I'll tell you what one team coped with that admirably and the other team absolutely crumbled I mean I, I understand completely why Neville was, was so upset because uh, I mean certainly after the third goal it did look like United weren't trying anymore to be honest it, it looked that bad heads mm. drops and they were a, a complete and utter shambles embarrassment um, I, I, I thought that was really noticeable but like Barley says we smelt blood and yeah. We, we honed in on every possible weakness. We created overloads. We did all the things that you should do to put a team like that to the sword, to put them to bed, to kill the game off. And we did it over and over and over again. And one of my criticisms under Pochettino was sometimes that we'd get two or three goals ahead and then we'd stop and we'd conserve energy. This was the opposite. This was like, we might need these goals. We might need this goal difference later in the season at some point. Let's hammer home this advantage and, and let's just go and go and go and don't stop until you know we've absolutely curb stomped them um some some of united's defending was utterly comical in this game the the first goal um obviously Lamella makes a complete nuisance of himself and yeah. it's wonderful to just focus on Lamella when you watch the replay even more wonderful is to focus on Harry Maguire because he makes about four or five mistakes in that same same incident it's insane how bad he is uh, and Dombele obviously sticks that away and then we see um, a, a wonderful bit of quick thinking from Kane for the second right that was an amazing ingenuity yeah. to, to get the ball down place it up for the free kick play it quick uh, but United have switched off they let him do that I mean that's mm. it's schoolboy stuff to allow that to be taken that early and even though 
I, I, another thing I'd say on, on that goal, Son's touch is a little bit heavy. If you rewatch yeah. it, it's mm. it's not the best touch. But De Gea is so slow off his line. If you if that's Larice, I guarantee you he comes out when he picks up that ball at Son's feet. But De Gea was was massively at fault. Third goal, Eric Bailly's failing to play out from the back. Fourth goal, Sissoko's got seconds and seconds to play the ball out to Aurier. Fifth goal, Huey Bear's the same. Masses of time to pick out Aurier. Uh, and the sixth, you've got Ben Davis making Paul Pogba look like an yeah. absolute moron in the box. So awful, awful defending from United, but brilliance from Spurs. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you spoke to sort of smelling blood, and I think that's that's really that's who we are now. Um, like like being lethal with whatever we have. Like the one chance to counter against Newcastle, it's a goal. Chance to take a quick free kick by Harry Kane, he spots it. Sun is alive yeah. to it, and straight away, and we are just we just clinical in in those kind of ways um and look i i still think that we're not always going to play brilliantly we're not always going to have the upper hand but when we do whenever we do we're just going to always push that advantage home now that's who we are i think we would have taken a lot from that newcastle game as well where we had that advantage we had so many opportunities and we we weren't ruthless in that game and it came back to hurt us penalties are so so easy now that uh, you need to be clear and i i think that newcastle game even though it was two points dropped i think it's it's going to help us in the long run it will it will be a um, could be a defining moment where we just learn to be bad bastards and just kill teams it's <laughs> a really good point Kane like he's been very good for a long time but he's his penalty taking is just absurd yeah. now like a cannon into the side netting there's nothing there's nothing it's a goal like when Kane steps up to take a penalty we're not talking about is he going to score is he not going to score we're talking I think he's going to go bottom left no he went bottom mm. left last time I think he's going to go middle yeah but he's going to go middle high or middle low you know He's, he's, so, wow. Yeah, you said exactly what I was about to say because it's not just the the power, the precision. It's the fact that he changes it up every time. Yeah. That's what makes him such an elite penalty taker. It's 13 from 13 for him now in the Premier League. He used to have... Um, the bottom left was always his kind of favourite yeah. and then in high-stress situations, he used to go straight down the middle, but he got found out. And I, th- I think that was the last penalty he missed. It, it was against Carriers at Liverpool away. And since then, he's just become... I mean, penalties are so common now that you need you need to practice that all the time and he's he's definitely one of the best out there at the moment yeah i mean we could do a whole podcast about kane he's the the form he's in at the moment i i mean i i said to us i said in our whatsapp group yesterday i think it's maybe the greatest form i've ever seen kane in and and i really mean that as well not just in terms of you know that his his goals which are fantastic his assists which are Mm. great but his all-round game is just perfection he he rarely makes mistakes he's so god he's so driven and as much as I was critical of Mourinho's approach in the documentary to management of, of lots of the players, one thing I think we all picked up on was how Kane absolutely seemed to take on board everything Mourinho was saying. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think it's worked. I think he's the approach he's taken with Kane has been spot on. I really believe that. He, he Kane sees Mourinho as someone who can take him to the next level and can potentially win him something uh, and can make him, you know, uh, truly elite. And Nathan, I remember you joked that Mourinho sort of meant it as a cult of celebrity type thing and yeah, Kane didn't quite so. get that Kane was focused on the on the football side either way it doesn't matter it's worked it's worked <laughs> yeah, a tree it literally doesn't matter yeah 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's so we much just, more to say. Yeah, I agree. We we could we could just talk an hour for Kane. I I think we're now approaching November, and Kane in November always makes me nervous. I don't know whether he's got a history of getting injured in November, but I just want just want to get through the next month or so without any drama to Kane's ankles. Just just and like I wish England weren't playing. I wish he wasn't going on international duty. But um, yeah, I always get nervous now, especially when he's so good like he is at the moment. So Nathan already mentioned Aurier having a really strong game and I think that yeah. that is a he deserves a lot of credit and deserves us to spend some time dwelling on that a little because he's someone we've been regularly critical of and I think for good reason I think it's been justified this was in my view his best ever Spurs performance and no. I, I don't mean that in terms of his defending which I thought was pretty steady although he was largely untested I don't mean that in terms of the fact that he was always there as an outlet on the right which he was but he's often an outlet on the right and has been really useful for me the difference here was that he didn't just swing in crosses and hope for the best he was really precise he really took his time and actually I saw a bit of Matt Doherty in in his decision making and his arriving in the box you know Mm. the, the the diagonal run into the box for his goal was very Matt Doherty and I liked what I saw there. I, I don't know if that's like a, a thing that we're, we're training now because we've got Dotti there or whether he's just seen the way Dotti plays and he's been involved in, in video playback. I don't know, but it, it worked a treat. That, that, is a, that is a feature of, of his game historically. And he has scored a couple for us from that from that position. Um, but maybe that's maybe that's an enhanced thing. Maybe that's something that we want to do as a team now. And so he's, he's invited to do that even more. He scored, uh, was it against Palace doing that? And an, another game as well. Um, um, and he he has a nice finish in that position as well. He tucks he does. bottom far post from there every time. Yeah, absolutely. Michael Cox wrote um, an interesting piece for for our friends at the Athletic, and it was it was talking about how good players they come into a club. So Man United signed Bruno Fernandez, and he came in, and he was he was amazing. But then he kind of dropped to the rest of the players. He dropped to the same level as the rest of the players around him. Whereas we've put in someone like Doherty, and maybe this has had an impact on Aurier, who's had to raise his game up to up to Doherty's standard and Davies has had to raise his standard up and he he signed off his little piece by saying buying good players helps but unless they're playing under a good manager they won't remain good for very long and I think that's maybe what we're seeing now I mean it's really really early it's one Serge Aurier performance hmm. but perhaps by increasing the level of players around him all of a sudden we're getting a we're getting a much better surge perhaps sure sure I mean I still it's transfer deadline today day to day and I would still be happy for us to sell Serge Aurier if if a good bid came in simply because we're going to need the money at some point and he's at a point now in his career and um, his age profile where we probably aren't going to get this good of a fee for him again so I, I take it but um, he's he he really honestly put in a superb performance and not his first this week I would say I'd say he also played really well in his in his previous match and the signs are good the signs are really really good um any other players you'd like to, to dwell on? Huibier got lots of mentions um, yes. on Match of the Day. He was really steady, really, really good. He held our midfield together. Equally, Manu's midfield was pathetic and just uh, essentially didn't put any pressure on, on the ball when we had it, which is a, a huge mistake when you're up against a player as, as classy as Ndombele and 
a player as incisive uh, when given time as, as Yuri Bier. What did you think, Nathan? Yeah, no, I think, you know, the Bruno Fernandes thing that the body points out, he's, he is, and this is something that I was sort of concerned about, he is making a bit of a step up from the level mm-hmm. that he was at at Southampton, which is still a good level. Like, he was yeah. always going to be a good player if he came here. But I think he's, he's you know, he's looking good plus at the moment. Mm. And <laughs> interestingly, he played deepest lying. Yes, yes. Which is, we, I think, uh, yeah. something we all want to see going forward. I think uh, Reguilón deserves... Deserves mm. a little a nod to him as well. Shaw was Shaw was awful, and then you kind of compare the two left backs, and <laughs> Reguilón was just superb going forward, defending. He's his his movement across the pitch, his ability to recover as well. I, I thought he was great. Um, Lamella had Lamella. He, Lamella changed the game, but I still don't think he had the greatest game. He changed the game by being very Eric Lamella, but he <laughs> also he also caused us a few problems by being very Eric Lamella by allowing Man United to counter. I still think he needs to release the ball a bit better because he does he does get us caught and sometimes I think his decision making in the final third can especially when we've committed players to an attack can cause us issues against a better team so as, as much as um, the win is down to, in little part to him I still think we need to see a little bit more from him and I not I won't be too upset to see him out of the starting lineup. I think the win is a lot down to Lamella. Um, Nathan, do you think Lamella should have been sent off? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, so we have this rule where you can push and shove and kick out at each other, but if you lightly brush another player's face, you have crossed this completely <laughs> arbitrary line where that's completely inexcusable. And okay, every single player going into the match knows that, has experienced that, is practiced that, is aware of that. So they're going in with an equal understanding of that being the case but it's so again it's so completely arbitrary that why is like an elbow in the throat not as bad as a slap around the face or whatever I mean it's so much worse it's so much more painful I think it's worse yeah Um, (laughs) but that's where we draw the line apparently yeah it's it's mad not the face not the face um it's crazy it's really crazy um what did you think of his his reaction to the the little brush of his cheek body he's uh you know having to having to bend over and, and gather his thoughts for a moment we now go live I, to our latin correspondent <laughs> i i was really i really got offended by that by that comment i i, I don't get offended easily but I was just like, what are you even talking about? And then he starts bringing Italy into the equation. I've worked in a Latin country because he, he's also managed in Portugal as well. And I'm mm. just like, what are you doing? You're just stereotyping, not just a con- like continents, countries, everybody. And I just thought, I thought it was ridiculous. Lamella didn't come out of that too well, but he got hit in the face. And we've seen it before. Any player that gets hit in the face will use that as an advantage. Martial shouldn't have done it. Lamella shouldn't have done it. Lamella was a bit smarter than Martial there. And that's what... Mourinho wants smart players he wants them to be smarter certainly um, you could just give Lamella a straight red for the the elbow but even more you can give him a yellow for the elbow and then a second yeah. yellow for the theatrics just because he was fouled doesn't mean that he should you know do a 10 minute performance on the floor <laughs> like so yeah absolutely and th- and this is this is another reason why VAR is is flawed because as I've said many times it stops referees making decisions because they think it's okay VAR will pick it up 
And then you get to a point where there's actually two yellows, arguably, and VAR does nothing because it doesn't have the authority to do anything. So you end up with worse decisions as a result. I mean, I put in the running order our referees' decisions being impacted by the lack of a crowd there. And I think, Ooh. I don't think that referee has the guts to send off Martial mm-hmm. in front of that. Is that the Stratford end? end? Might have been. I don't think he, yeah, I don't think he does it. I think he gives yellow, yellow and tells them both to grow up. Um, but then, I thought Shaw was a Shaw's tackle was a, yep. a red card, and perhaps had Martial not already yep. been sent off, he would have sent Shaw off there. So I think I think the crowd does have I think the crowd does play a um, a part, and I also think say Man United losing two one. Well, they were losing two one, so we don't need to imagine <laughs> it. But Man United losing two one. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> they go down to ten men. That crowd, due to the injustice, their perceived injustice of Martial being sent off, all of a sudden has the possibility to galvanise that football team. Mm. And perhaps that has a knock-on impact. Whereas it's silent, Solskjaer, we know he's not the most vocal on the on the sideline, his inability to galvanise his team and they fall apart. I think the crowd, a lack of crowd, is, is having a huge impact on the moment of football. It's a good point. I think it's a really good point. Uh, we have a question from Greenman RD from our Discord channel. He says, I'm curious what Wendy thinks since he picked us to finish fifth or sixth, if I recall correctly. How do our recent performances change your feelings about us finishing top four? It's a, it's a, it's a really good time, I think, to, to check in. I made that prediction before the Bale and Regulon signings, um, and I might need to revise that. Uh, so this is where I think we are at the moment. I think Mourinho has been backed like Pochettino arguably wasn't mm. for whatever reason, um, be that, you know, the stadium money is coming in now and it wasn't there before, maybe. Maybe Mourinho is simply more flexible on, on player yeah. signings, which I think is a very viable argument. Like we knew Pochettino turned down Tiedemans. We knew he turned down Pereira, for example. I don't think it's completely realistic to say that Mourinho is a bit more pragmatic and just wants upgrades in. Uh, or maybe Daniel Levy has belatedly accepted that a complete squad refresh was required. I don't know. It's, whatever reason, it's, it's worked out this way. So here's what I think. I think we have the second or third best goalkeeper in the league. I think we have a very good right back, although I wouldn't want to rank him because the number of outstanding right backs around is utterly sure. outrageous at the moment. I think we have a top three centre-back in the league in Alderweireld. I'm a bit concerned he's not in the team at the moment, mm. but I, I think he's great. At one point, I think he was the best. He's definitely getting worse, but I still think he's good, really good. I think we have a slight weakness alongside Alderweireld, but I do think Tanganga has fantastic potential and potentially could become the best centre-back at the club. I think we've got the second best left back in the league after Andy Robertson. I think we've got the second best midfielder in the league in Ndombele after De Bruyne. I think we've got another outstanding central midfielder in Lo Celso. Very solid, dependable leader in a defensive midfielder in Huibier. I think we've got a top three left wing forward in Son, along with Mane and Sterling. I think we've got potentially one of the best right-wing forwards in Bale, although it is obviously a question mark over his sure. fitness. And I think we've got the best striker in the league in Kane. No doubt, no doubt. So, you know, we're pretty well set now, right? I think so overall, we have got the second best team in the league after Liverpool. And I think, a good squad too. And a good like, squad. And, deep. And, and people will say, look, City, City have a really good team and a better squad. And I would definitely say that Sterling and De Bruyne would probably be 
in our top three best players, right? I, don't get me wrong, yes. I think City are terrific. I think we're more balanced. I think um, our players are more integrated. I think Chelsea have some fantastic players, but we're more settled and they're going to take some time to click into gear. So now it's up to Mourinho. I mean, the purpose of a coach, in my opinion, is to create a team, a unit, a structure, a system that's greater than some of its parts. And we saw that under Pochettino for many, many, many years. If Mourinho's as good as he used to be and as good as he believes he still is, we should be pushing for the league title with this team within the next two years. And the absolute bare minimum this year should be top four, right? And I think we can realistically expect second or third this season. And I so far, so good. You know, this the Europa League campaign is going really well. The, the first match wasn't the best, but it has been going really well. The match against Chelsea was terrific. I think these early games, although they've been a hindrance in terms of fitness concerns, it's allowed us to build form and fitness. And one of the most important things in football, in my eyes, momentum, which other teams simply don't have. So we're in a really, really, really good place right now. My thoughts are that this is not going to last all season. Right. I, okay. I, I do have I do I do believe that we'll have our ups and downs. And so the question will be, can we grind our way through those downs and do enough to to finish top four, to finish top two, to win the league? It's very open this year. Team there's so many good teams and they're all taking points off each other. I'm I'm feeling pretty optimistic about about how things are going on the pitch right now, and I think Mourinho's doing an excellent job. You said a really interesting thing there a couple of minutes ago for me about Pochino made the team better than the sum of its parts, and I think that fundamentally my my long long term issue with Mourinho is that he no longer does that. But you also pointed out the strength of this team and the strength of this squad, and I think that if Mourinho can create something that is equal to the sum of its part, well, that's a hell of a team and that's a hell of a squad. And more importantly, what I've been saying is I think Mourinho is doing a decent job. I think we can get top four, but there's surely no way that we can catch this incredible top two. Pan over to what's happening at Liverpool and City. Right this second, right this absolute second, I can't, I wouldn't want to rule out the possibility of us challenging for title this season. Oh, well, look at you guys. Welcome to, welcome up to my little uh, <laughs> Jose Mourinho hill. It's of, warm um, here. It's nice up here. It's nice, nice view. I was always under the impression that we would finish there or thereabouts in the top four. I think the signings we've made have been really good. I think... I think in situations when the when form drops and we're in sticky parts, I think we've got enough kind of like leaders, for want of a better word, lack of a better word, who can pull games out of the pull games out of the hat. Bale is a player that can just whack on in from anywhere. Kane can do a bit of magic. I think we've got magic in individuals who can who can get results on their own. I think we've got the building of a team that can do things as a, as a team. So I'm, I'm I'm quietly confident. What I do kind of like is so far we've seemed to be pretty defensively sound. Whereas the other teams, they don't, they don't look it. I think that's where our advantage lies at the moment, and they kind of reasonably settled back four and a settled goalkeeper. We're not shipping goals and we're not shipping the chances. And at the moment, everybody who plays a high line is getting exposed. Arsenal should have had a player sent off at, at the weekend for trying to play a high line. Liverpool's high line <laughs> was was looked bad against Arsenal, and then last mm. night was it was insanely bad. So I, I'm confident in our ability to to sit deep when we need to and play a high line when we've got to do that and our tactical tactical flexibility which is why I think what I'm most impressed now with Jose is his ability to press high or sit deep or do a medium block and our ability to change through those formations over 90 minutes that's what I've been most impressed with under him so do you want to hear my little theory on why the high lines are being so exposed Ooh, yeah 
So high lines are great. Liverpool won the league last year comfortably at a counter with a high line. What you need to make a high line work is immense pressure on the ball from multiple angles. And and that requires one, fitness and two, organisation. And in order to build fitness and build organisation, you require a sustained period of time on the training ground, which hasn't happened because there's been no pre-season. So I think teams like... Hassan Hootel, Southampton, Klopp's Liverpool are going to come unstuck until they find their fitness, find their organisation and get used to um, the intensity that, that, that the teams are playing at right now. I think also because, like, for example, Everton have gone from being you know, a plodding middle of the road team to suddenly having genuine X factors sprinkled amongst that 11. Leicester, although they've got a lot of injuries right now, they have some phenomenal players in their team. They're really, really good teams that can punish mistakes, punish any weaknesses. And I think that's what we're seeing. Villa, you know, Aston Villa were relegation candidates last season. Suddenly they've got a midfield with Ross Barkley and Jack Grealish feeding a phenomenal young striker in Ollie Watkins. They didn't have that last year. (laughs) He's all right, isn't he? We got a few mentions I saw about that in the extra inch account. Um, yeah, so that, that's my that's my theory. I do think the high line thing and the pressing thing won't be so much of an issue later in the season. Um, but it's it, we're actually able to capitalise that on that right now because we don't use a high line, we don't use a pressing system, so it's it's worked out in our favour. Maybe um, those two teams with the high line are cycling off something for this season, <laughs> and that's that. maybe why they can't sustain Ooh. the pressure. Maybe Ooh. maybe there's too much <laughs> asthma going around; they can't cope Ooh. with it this year. Delivery issues under the pandemic. <laughs> Pandemic, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't think about that one. <laughs> Love Curious. it. Love it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Guys, do we want to do anything about Maccabi Haifa? I mean, it was an absolute smashing of a, another fairly average team. Uh, I'd say they were a little hard done by. They they didn't look too bad. They were just terrible defensively. Is that fair? Tell us what Mourinho said. He said, uh, the game was a bit strange. Normally to score seven goals is impressive, but I don't think the performance was impressive. It was clinical and we hurt them many, many times in transitions. They were adventurous. They risked a lot and tried to play the way they normally play in every match in their league. I don't think they feared us and they were punished badly with seven goals. I agree. This is what happens though. You can't, if you're going to play this Tottenham team, you have to come with a with a plan. 
which isn't just I want to play my style. Southampton tried it, got banged. Man United tried it, got banged. Maccabi Haifa, poor little guys. You, I, you admire the, their guts to ch- attempt it, but seven goals got shipped. You have to be a bit smarter against against our forwards. Um, this game was one of the reasons why I've, I've been pro Europa League because matches builds, like you guys said, confidence builds momentum. It allows minutes on the pitch for for players who who weren't wouldn't get minutes. Endombele came on against Plovdiv and changed the game, and those are minutes that he wouldn't have got otherwise. So I'm very pro Europa League now we're getting into the group stage I think our group draw is is pretty nice there's no massive kind of commutes across Europe or anything else like that so I'm very pro Europa League and you know it would be it would look great alongside the other three trophies we're going to collect this year uh, they literally chatted shit and got banned <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, we're going to do a section now about American Spurs fans, and I think this might be the start of a longer conversation, to be honest, because there's so much mm. to say. Um, and, and to give you some background, this sort of spawned from uh, the conversation we were having about disengagement. We got loads of emails, correspondence from American fans. Uh, this one stood out to me. So this is from Chris Klein from Las Vegas. He said, our American fans of the club looked at differently by diehard British supporters who've been to tons of matches and supported the club all their lives. Would I be looked at as something else altogether, like a niche thing over on the other side? Or are American fans who support the club fully accepted, even if how we came to support Spurs is a little less organic? I had this from Andrew Felder. He said, as an American, I've come to learn that Europeans experience their sports fandom very differently from here in America. American sports fans are just as passionate, but I think we follow our teams as external observers, whereas your committed Premier League fans seem to genuinely feel like their club is a personal extension of their own lives. In the US, it's our team, but for you, it's almost like it's part of the family. The club is something we observe, and there's no pretensions beyond that. Second, as a Spurs fan who joined the ranks about five or six years ago, I probably not received proper training in whatever Spurs' values are that you feel Mourinho represents a violation of. I don't feel his presence violates any sacred trust. I respect that your feelings may be more typical than mine, but I just wanted to share how it feels to a newer generation in recency, not age, of fan. I want trophies and an exciting style of play. I'm able to get behind any coach who can provide that. And equally, we had this from Andrew Smith. He said, in America, there is simply nothing like the enormous allure of English football, the connection to the community and the semi-tribal nature of the support. The feeling when standing in the park lane during our 3-1 dismantling of Manchester United during peak Pochettino was absolutely euphoric to someone raised on corpro-glossy American sports. So many interesting comments there, and I just thought it it was deserving of a a wider conversation, which might open up something else. Um, Anything come to mind immediately, Nathan, in response to to those comments? Yeah, I feel like the the comment about sort of Spurs values, not having the the requisite sort of indoctrination into... Mm that sort of mindset into growing up to going to the stadium as a kid and those kind of experiences to to learning and I think that we we don't know how much we know that because we, we've not you know yeah. you don't sit down and do a test but you you are drip fed the culture of the club over years and years and years and years and you experience it firsthand and you know hundreds of thousands of fans and you feel the club and I think that Yes, geographic distance is a, is a factor, but it's it's that it's the value thing, and that is probably what a lot of English fans have an issue with with non English fans of their club is is not you can't love Tottenham like I do because you're not here, but it's because you haven't had the necessary experience. You you aren't Tottenham because you don't know Tottenham like I do. But 
I think that a different attachment to the club that is just as sincere is also completely real and you don't have to know about the bloke who yells selling burgers outside the stadium to have a deep connection to Eric Lamella. If you're, you know, again, I've talked about this before, getting up at 6am on a Saturday morning to go to a bar to watch Spurs with a bunch of other American Spurs fans and you are creating your own culture with your own group of people around the same club then we're still all Tottenham fans yeah I, I agree a, a lot with what Nathan said and I, I'm going to um, go back to a comment he said before about other people questioning other people's fandom and just how you who are these diehard British supporters who are they to judge somebody else just because somebody hasn't grown up in Tottenham and isn't been told to support Tottenham by generations and generations of family doesn't mean they're less of a fan I think what sometimes maybe stick in the throat of, of, of an English Spurs fan when they hear American Spurs fans is just because they look at the game very differently um, American sports are very stat based and everything else which some people don't like about English football they just prefer to watch it with their eyes and they don't get on with XG and everything else so there is that kind of clash of cultures but football now this this sport that we watch is completely changed from, from what it was in the ni- in that 1990 before the Premier League even existed it's a completely different sport and it appeals to, to completely different fans we have fans who follow Mourinho we have fans who follow hmm. um, a, an individual player who come along and they become a Tottenham fan Are is a fan of Mourinho who supports Tottenham solely because of Mourinho is he less of a fan than, than somebody else is am I more of a fan than Windy who's like number one laptop fan it's like <laughs> you know who, who who am I to judge who, who are any of us to judge each other I just think it's it's just the whole thing that they're American and they sound different and certain pockets of Tottenham support get upset by that but then that's just not them getting upset by Americans being different that's them getting they get upset by lots of people who are different to them so that's just that's their own kind of maybe gammon that's coming out I welcome American fans I've I've hung out with American fans in New York the New York Spurs and they're great and we all support Tottenham and there's there's bigger things that we can all get worked up about than how someone sounds who supports the same club as you but I, I agree with you I would love to um, go into this in a bit more detail to see about the kind of culture that's being created out there and everything else like that we had a really good um, chat with Wheeler Dealer Radio who see things differently to us and we we all agree on the same principles the same core principles of, of Tottenham doing well absolutely I mean so I, I, I'm nothing if not honest so let me um, share my feelings and um, and be a bad bastard temporarily mm-hmm. about eight years ago something like that I I did have a problem with American Spurs fans I'm not gonna lie and it wasn't because of them it was because of Spurs right so Spurs made this very sudden very crude yeah. very obvious cash grab in the states they they really went big on the american audience and it came as a bit of a shock to me and i was i was very naive about the sort of potential of new markets and such like this wasn't something i thought about regularly you know spurs are my club that's you know there's a it was a community at that point for me and suddenly they were going on these pre-season tours to the States where it actually put the start of the season at risk because it was happening so close to the season. And frankly, I wasn't going to get to see the new signing make his first Spurs appearance against Leighton Orient or Stevenage or a team where you're literally like five yards away. But some American Spurs fans were going to get a meet and greet with our new signing instead. <laughs> and I was, I was a little bit bitter and twisted about that. And then over time, I've realized that that was a terrible opinion 
in. And these fans who, as, as Bardi and Nathan point out so eloquently, they, they make their own huge sacrifices for the love of Tottenham Hotspur. They deserve to see these players in the flesh. They don't get the chance to do that unless they travel hundreds of miles and spend thousands of pounds to do so. So it was uh, it was the right thing to do commercially, but it was also the right thing to do in terms of the kind of involvement of our wider fan base. So, you know, I realized pretty quickly what was happening. And the more I interacted with some US Spurs fans, the more I appreciated them. And I really enjoyed conversing with them about football because, as Buddy says, they have totally different takes on sport because the way American sport is presented is very, very different to how we have sport presented to us in the UK. And I found that fascinating. I definitely think there are sort of... I want to say like tears of fandom that's, um, sure. that, that informally exists, rightly or wrongly. So obviously the top tier would be the fans that go home and away. They they sacrifice their lives to do this. They they pay huge money to do so. They accept lesser jobs because they give them more flexibility, yeah. you know? Hmm. They travel to cup matches in Barnsley on a Tuesday night and get back at 3am on a Wednesday morning. That's, that is a tremendous sacrifice. And then season ticket holders, you know, Barley's a season ticket holder. Okay, fine. He, he goes to the gym when Spurs are playing Chelsea in a, in a local derby, <laughs> but he also goes to every home match that he can. He goes to every home match. He makes sacrifices <laughs> to do that financial familial otherwise. And, and somewhere down this pecking order in the eyes of the traditional support would be the American Spurs fans or the Australian Spurs fans or the Korean Spurs fans or whoever. And I, I definitely think we need to break down those tiers and barriers now because it is just different types of fandom. We all support this club in a different way. My way of supporting the club now is not to go to games. I, I last went to a game over a year ago. I honestly, I don't really care if I don't go to many more games. It's just, it's not what it was to me going to games. But I will never, I'll never miss a Spurs match. I'll always, you know, cancel my plans and make myself available to watch Spurs and love watching Spurs from home and talking about it with you guys and with my friends and with my family afterwards. And I don't think that makes me any less of a fan than than someone who who wants to go every game. It's just that they enjoy that part of it and I don't anymore. And that's that's cool. It's cool with me at least. Um, I I, th- I found this the emails we got in really interesting. If people have more thoughts or emails that they want to send us on this subject, please do, and we'll we'll share some of the best ones. Uh, podcast at theextrainch.co.uk if you want to email. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it'd be lovely to hear from more American Spurs fans to to get their get their views and you know more UK based Spurs fans to to hear how they feel about you know fans from other countries. Anything else to add, lads? I I would say. Yes, if you are a foreign fan and you have your own, you know, uh, inter-foreign fan culture, then your fanship is completely, completely valid. But I would also recommend making the effort to sort of absorb the existing local and English otherwise culture around the club. I I think that's probably a worthwhile thing to do. And you can miss with that. You can get that wrong and be cringy with it, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) But um, I I do think it's worth something you you should try out a little bit. Cool. We're going to do a question before we leave you. This is from Alec Depkrinsky. He says, what's your strongest 11 that the team could field based on the current squad versus what's the strongest 11 that you could honestly see Mourinho deploying based on the current squad? So what do you think is our best team and what do you think is the best team that Mourinho will be willing to put out, Bardi? Um, I, I think I think it's probably going to be a back four or on Dyer and at the moment Davinson and Doherty. I think that would be his his back four. Joe Hart in goal. Um, 
<laughs> the winner in goal, uh, obviously Lloris in goal, and I think probably Hoiberg. Now this is this is where the question gets interesting. Would he be willing mm. to play Endombele and uh, Lacelso at the same time? Mm. That's 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 the big question. We don't know because he hasn't had to face that due to fitness issues. Does he want someone in alongside him? But I think the best eleven would be. I think you guys both agree. Endombele, Lacelso alongside Hoiberg, and then Bale, Kane, Son. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's pretty standard. But will... the, the only difference I'd make is I would have Alderweireld in my back four. Yeah, and I think by the end of the season I might have Tanganga in there. But obviously I think it's a little too early to to, to say that. He's, he's gonna he's, he's marked that he's marked that made a note of it and he's gonna pull it out in in May saying I told you guys like here's the podcast where I said it. Listen, listen. I think Sanchez and Dyer are not bad defenders at all. I don't think they are ever going to be elite. And I think they both had a huge number of chances that would not normally be given to a young homegrown player. So this is where there's a, there's a point of interest there. Sanchez, because he costs 40 million, we kind of have to give him the opportunity to, to, to become worth that again. Whereas I don't think Tanganga gets that. If he if he makes this, if he plays like like um, Sanchez does week in week out, they just sell him and move on. I think I think the problem we have with Dyer, Sanchez, and Alderweireld is I don't think individually they're that bad. Well, Dyer's pretty shaky, but I don't think they're that bad as individuals. I just don't think they work as a partnership, and I think that's the key problem: is we don't have a centre back partnership. We have centre backs, but not two that that kind of mm-hmm. work off each other in the kind of Yambatong and Toby Alderweireld kind of. Um, kind of style I think um, as we know Mourinho likes loud big characters who are organisers and leaders Dyer is obviously an organiser he's very vocal he's, he's got a good understanding of the game and he knows how to line up a defence I don't think Alderweireld is I think Alderweireld is quite quiet quite timid he, he leads by example rather than by sort of motivational speeches or, or shouts to organise people so that's why I think the, the preference has happened in terms of Dyer over Toby. Um, Nathan, any, anything you'd add to the strongest 11 versus what you think Mourinho might put out there? I mean, are you going to say that he'd choose Lucas Moura on the on the right wing? Yeah, that's, that's you're not wrong. Um, yeah, Bale at number 10, Lucas on the right. You don't, don't rule it out, guys. That's all I'm saying. Um, I mean, yeah, the question is, c- could we play in Don Blaine Lascelles at the same time? Yes. Can we play both attacking fullbacks at the same time? Yes. Can we play both Ndombele, Lo Celso and the attacking fullbacks at the same time? Wouldn't, wouldn't rule it. It's a hell of a team. It's a hell of a team if you look at it that way. But I just... It's a little worrying. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it can't be done, um, and I wouldn't say that Mourinho wouldn't. And we talked about this before we, when we were about to sign Gareth Bale. It's not past Mourinho to play in a very attacking combination of players, um, but it, it invites you to play on the break, which is fine. Um, so I think that you can play those eleven players against you know Man United and play on the break, but you would maybe have a hard time dominating the ball with all of those players on the pitch at the same time. Well, you wouldn't have a trouble dominating the ball. You'd have a problem when you lose the ball from a dominating position with those eleven, mm-hmm. maybe. But maybe it'll be fine anyway. So what you're saying is he'd be willing to let the handbrake off, but there's a chance we'd roll down the hill. <laughs> nice, nice. That's pretty good, isn't it? On the fly. <laughs> I, look, I'm I'm quite aroused from the idea of Kuibier, uh, <laughs> Lo Celso, and Dombele, Regulon, and Matt Doherty all being in the same team. That's um, that's pretty exciting. Right, should we go and record uh, a QA for our ex subs, boys? Let's do it. Let's do it. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. 
Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.